1: Hey, it's Jamie. Today, I'm re-releasing an episode of Murderish about an alternative medicine doctor who was found bludgeoned to death in her Bonita Springs, Florida home in the summer of 2015. The disturbing details of Dr. Teresa Seaver's murder would be revealed in time, and the answers rocked the community around her.
0: The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed, Listener discretion is advised.
1: When an alternative medicine doctor was found bludgeoned to death in her Bonita Springs, Florida home in the summer of 2015, friends and neighbors worried a burglar was on the loose, looking for his next random victim. Detectives with the Lee County Sheriff's Office told the public that Dr. Teresa Seavers had been bashed in the back of the head after returning home early from a trip with her husband and two daughters, visiting family in upstate New York. An online sleuth group wondered if Dr. Seaver's death was connected to that of several other alternative medicine doctors throughout the country, who had also died under mysterious circumstances in recent months. And Dr. Seaver's husband, Mark, had an airtight alibi, having stayed behind in New York to visit a bit longer with family and the couple's two young daughters. That is, until a woman in Jefferson County, Missouri, called a tip line two weeks after the doctor's death to say that a man 1,200 miles away had been bragging about the murder. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through the case involving Dr. Teresa Seavers. Situated along the Gulf of Mexico, Bonita Springs is one of Florida's most beautiful and affluent suburbs just north of the Everglades in Southwest Florida. Families like Dr. Seavers come to the area for its school district, its white sandy beaches, and its plethora of outdoor activities. Dr. Seavers and her family lived in a particularly quiet residential area with homes less than five miles from the beach. Her practice was located in the neighboring suburb of Estero. At the time, it was a relatively new, up-and-coming area situated between the retirement town of Naples, Florida, and the closest major city of Fort Myers. Dr. Seaver's office was housed in a building called the Estero Medical Center, where several other practitioners saw patients. The overall region of southwest Florida is relatively affluent compared to other parts of the state and is known for its retirement population and snowbirds who flock down from colder states each year to enjoy the sunshine. Dr. Sievers was practicing holistic medicine in one of the more health conscious regions and her practice, the Restorative Health and Healing Center, had developed a name for itself at the time of her murder. June 29th, 2015 was a Monday morning, a day when Dr. Seavers would have arrived early at her practice in Estero, Florida. The 46-year-old internist and mother of two was known for her passion for alternative medicine, as well as her spunk. At just four feet 11 inches tall, Dr. Seavers wore heels most days and could be heard tip-tapping down hallways in her office suite, signaling to co-workers that she had entered the building. But on that quiet summer morning, Dr. Seavers' coworkers were getting worried. Dr. Seavers had not arrived to work yet, and she was known to run a tight ship. She wasn't answering her phone, and after some time had passed, coworkers made the decision to call Dr. Seavers' husband, Mark. Mark Seavers worked as sort of an office manager for the practice and an assistant to his wife. But his main role in the relationship was to homeschool their two daughters, Josephine or Josie, age 11, and Carmela or Carmi, age 8. Aside from that, Mark Seavers was known as his wife's rock and confidant someone who bent over backwards to make her dreams of a successful practice come true. Coworkers reached Mark on his cell phone that morning. He answered the call in upstate New York where he and Dr. Seavers had been vacationing with their two young daughters to visit family. The plan had been for Dr. Seavers to come home on Sunday night so she could work Monday. Mark Seavers and the girls had stayed behind to spend a little more time with family. Upon receiving the call from co-workers, Mark was worried. He had seen his wife off the night before, when she flew home to Southwest Florida International Airport in Fort Myers, just north of their home in Bonita Springs. Dr. Seavers called Mark when she landed to tell him she was driving home. He assumed she made it safely. Now, he wasn't so sure. But just in case, Mark knew who to call. He dialed a neighbor and family friend, Dr. Mark Petrites, a surgeon. Dr. Petrides listened to Mark and agreed to go to the home and check in on Dr. Seavers. Upon arriving at the Seavers' home, Dr. Petrides knocked on the door. There was no answer. He tried again, waiting to hear Dr. Seavers come to the door in her signature heels or to hear the family's two dogs barking. Instead, there was silence. But through the window, he saw that the lights to the home were on and Dr. Seavers' purse was on the kitchen countertop. He pounded on the door again. Still no luck. Then, with Mark Seaver's permission, Dr. Petrites made entry into the home through the garage with a code that Mark had provided by phone. Inside the garage, Dr. Petrites saw Dr. Seaver's car was parked. He walked past and opened the door to the home. The dogs ran out into the garage as he entered. Once inside, he need not look far. There on the floor in the kitchen, He found Dr. Seavers laying in a pool of blood, her skull bashed in from behind. Dr. Petrites rushed back out of the house through the garage, closing the dogs inside, and dialed 911. Frantically, he said to the 911 dispatcher, I'm at a friend's house, he's out of town, and I came here to check on his wife, and she's dead on the floor. Dispatchers got the address and sent deputies over immediately. Dr. Petrites went on to say to the dispatcher, She came home last night, husband is in Connecticut, and she was supposed to go to work at 9 o'clock. He called me and I was on my way into work, and I swung by and she's dead on the floor. Then Dr. Petrites provided a chilling detail saying, there's a hammer at her side, and she's bashed in the back of the head. He continued to tell dispatchers breathlessly that he had touched Dr. Seavers and shook her body a bit but she was cold to the touch and blood was everywhere. Dr. Petrites stood outside of the home to wait for first responders because he was nervous that the killer might still be inside the house. Dr. Petrites provided more details to the dispatcher, explaining once again that Dr. Seavers had not shown up for work that day when her husband called in a favor, concerned about his wife's well-being. He's her office manager, Dr. Petrites told the dispatcher, Oh, she's the office manager of his business, the dispatcher asked, confused? No, Dr. Petrite said, a hint of annoyance in his voice. He's the office manager of her medical practice. The dispatcher asked for more details, wondering if Dr. Severs had suffered a medical episode. This is a murder, Dr. Petrite said. She's bashed in the back of the head. I can't see her falling or anything like that. Dr. Petrite's voice shook on the other end of the line. I just looked and thought, my God, you know, she's my friend. Teresa Grace Seavers was 46 years old at the time of her death, and the crime was quickly classified as a homicide. When crime scene photos were later released, the brutality of Dr. Seavers' death was made clear. Blood smears could be seen on a door frame in the kitchen and on the tile floors. There was blood spatter across the tile squares and pooled in the grout lines. A hammer was left behind at the crime scene, its handle covered in blood and wrapped in long strands of hair. Dr. Seavers' phone, water bottle, and wallet were also on the floor next to a pair of sandals and headphones. All signs pointed to the fact that Dr. Seavers had come home from her flight and been surprised by someone in her kitchen. Outside the home, investigators photographed a crowbar and a screwdriver in the grass. The attack seemed sloppy, as if someone had broken into the home while it sat empty, only to be surprised by the homeowner and forced to make a hasty escape. Photographs of the jewelry Dr. Seavers was wearing during the attack showed that she was covered in blood. Her bracelets, earrings, rings, and watch appeared in photos bloodstained. Her necklace, which featured the words, you may say I'm a dreamer, was also smudged with blood. Perhaps most haunting are the security photos of Dr. Seavers taken from cameras at the Southwest Florida International Airport. In those images, she is seen walking through the airport terminal after landing back home, wheeling a roller bag behind her, and wearing a short dress and sandals. She had no idea she was heading home toward her death. Word of the doctor's murder reached news outlets later during the morning in which the neighbor discovered her body. The immediate picture that emerged was that of a renowned and respected doctor, a champion in her field of alternative medicine, a loving mother, devoted wife, and a firecracker, whose short stature belied a tenacious spirit. Not only was Dr. Seavers a holistic doctor, she was also one of the few trusted medical professionals in the region who treated transgender patients. At a time when those transitioning felt shunned and misunderstood by medical professionals, Dr. Sievers made a name for herself as someone who was not only open to treating that population, but a trusted, compassionate doctor who made it her mission to be a beacon for those transitioning. Dr. Seavers' work in this field actually earned her a nickname among colleagues and patients who referred to her as Mother Teresa. Some of the first rumors about the doctor's murder came from those suspecting a patient, someone close to Dr. Seavers, who had become upset with the treatment plan or the like. Reporters flocked to the crime scene and Dr. Seavers' nearby medical practice, where a sign on the door told patients that the office was now closed for the day. Family members told the media they were shaken, blown away, and heartbroken. Dr. Seavers had just been visiting family the day before and now she was dead. A native of Connecticut, Dr. Seavers had been valedictorian of her high school, and in medical school, she earned honors. After graduating, Teresa moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where she met Kenny Cousins, the man who would become her first husband. The two shared a love of the outdoors, the ocean, good music, and good food, according to Wink News. Early on in her career, Dr. Severs told her husband that she really wanted to spend more time with patients. She wanted to develop meaningful relationships with them in order to treat them as a whole human. Though Dr. Severs divorced her first husband after just three years, they remained good friends. She soon met a new man, Mark Severs. A few months into their relationship, Teresa and Mark were married. For every glowing online review of Dr. Severs' work, There was a negative one where some patients called her abrasive and direct, lacking a good bedside manner. Dr. Seavers was known as a dedicated mother, known for some unique parenting styles. Mark Seavers homeschooled their two girls, hoping to inspire new ways of thinking and learning, and he often helped out with Dr. Seavers' medical practice. Together, Teresa and Mark called their children mermaids and made it known that they thought the two girls were magical. Some people thought their parenting style was bizarre, but on this front, the couple were united. A neighbor down the street told Gulf Shore Life magazine that she used to see the two daughters holding lemonade stands or selling handmade art in their driveway. Once, when the neighbor stopped, she watched Mark Seavers corral the two girls for church. The neighbor marveled at the family, surprised that the two well-behaved girls and their father were about to attend church service on a weeknight. After their mother's death, the two girls continued daily life from their home in Bonita Springs with their grieving father. But their future without a mother remained largely uncertain. Early on in the case, a bizarre theory emerged online. Members of a well-known thread and message board community called Web Sleuths had picked up on the case. Soon, they had drawn comparisons to four other cases of alternative medicine doctors dying under suspicious circumstances in recent weeks. Five others had gone missing in the same month. The theory was that the government was silencing these doctors who held secrets to curing diseases such as cancer. And some said each of the doctors had encountered recent run-ins with the feds, who were raiding and investigating their practices. At least for those who knew Dr. Seavers, the idea seemed outlandish and all signs pointed to some kind of burglary gone bad. Their focus was on finding her killer before they claimed someone else in the area. But for the web sleuths, the fact that Dr. Seavers' husband had an airtight alibi made her death look like part of a larger conspiracy. Local authorities, however, did not give the theory much credence. Regardless, the web sleuths community latched on, sharing evolving theories for months online as the case unfolded. In the meantime, friends and family began a GoFundMe account to raise money for the couple's two daughters. Neighbors, family friends, and strangers pooled together more than $30,000 for the girls. The family noted on the page that they were organizing the fundraiser because Mark Seavers was too distraught to do it himself. On the page, a family friend of Dr. Seavers, Lenka Spiska, wrote the following message, To all who knew and loved Dr. Teresa Seavers, As my best friend and colleague, Dr. Seavers was a visionary in her field, amazing healer, loving wife, and mother to two beautiful little girls, as well as many others in the community. She was referred to by many as Mother Teresa. Her life was taken yesterday, June 29, 2015, by an unknown assailant in her home. Dr. Seavers was the primary family provider. I ask you and anyone you know to donate what you are able to help her family deal with the financial burdens they will be faced with, including the education of her two young daughters, who are only 11 and 8. Thank you and God bless, Lenka Spiska. The fundraiser brought in about $34,000. After a funeral was held for Dr. Seavers, a friend of hers didn't think things were adding up. During a two-hour interview with detectives, Carrie Kane relayed details of the funeral, according to the Naples Daily News, saying that Mark Seavers had certainly cried at the service, but that his tears seemed fake. She also remembered how he had shared brutal details of the killing just days after his wife's death while hanging out at the beach. During the service itself, Mark's closest friend actually ran out of the funeral hall and never returned. Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with estro control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Curtis Wayne Wright was Mark Seaver's best friend, and for years the two had joked that they were brothers from another mother. Both were about the same height, bald with glasses, and had the same pointed features. Mark and Curtis, who went by Wayne, had grown up together in Missouri, and the two of them were often mistaken for one another. Wayne had run out of the funeral service as Dr. Seaver's coffin passed him by. Officiants had been waving incense over the casket, and Wayne would later tell police he had experienced a full-blown asthma attack and needed fresh air. For Carrie Kane, however, that did not add up. She recalled that earlier in the service, Wayne had been tasked with fixing a photo slideshow featuring pictures of Dr. Seavers. He had an audiovisual background and fixed the photo slideshow easily. But when Wayne was asked to assist with the video portion of the memorial, he refused. Carrie thought later he must not have wanted to see Dr. Seavers alive for some reason. Carrie flew back home from the funeral service and began taking notes. She didn't want to forget Mark Seavers' odd behavior. After his wife's funeral, Mark invited attendees back to his home to swim. Carrie said it seemed like he had forgotten they were in mourning. Another strange thing had occurred the same day. An unnamed witness told investigators they had seen Mark Seavers throwing away computers and paperwork at Dr. Seavers' practice just hours after his wife's memorial service was to be held. Then, a couple weeks after the murder, detectives at the Lee County Sheriff's Office in Southwest Florida received a tip. A woman in Jefferson County, Missouri, called to say that her boyfriend had been bragging about a murder. He had recently returned from a trip to Florida where she said he had been paid to put a hit on a woman there. When he returned, he told his girlfriend that he had committed the murder with a hammer, and he had disposed of some of his clothing during a car ride with his girlfriend. The woman, Taylor Shoemaker, called investigators to share all that she knew. Later, during a sit-down interview, she revealed that her boyfriend, Jimmy Ray Rogers, had a nickname he went by. The nickname was even on his Facebook page. He liked to be called the Hammer or Hammer. Taylor Shoemaker had been dating Jimmy Ray Rogers, and together they had a child. Jimmy was friends with a man in Missouri named Curtis Wayne Wright. The two had met while they were incarcerated at the St. Genevieve County Jail in Missouri in 2010. One night, Wayne came over to the couple's home. He had a proposition for Jimmy. Taylor said she overheard the two of them discussing the situation. A man in Florida was going to pay Wayne to kill his wife, but he needed help. In exchange, Wayne would pay Jimmy $10,000 to accompany him to Florida and do the deed. Taylor recalled that Jimmy had indeed taken a trip to Florida. When he returned, he told her he had killed the woman with a hammer. After he got his money, he planned to buy a new truck. Taylor shared other details, too. She told investigators that after Jimmy returned from the trip, she noticed a cooler in his vehicle. Inside the cooler, there was a box of gloves, a hammer, dress shoes, and a jumpsuit that had been rolled up. He was also wearing a new t-shirt at the time, a red Budweiser shirt. According to transcripts of her interview with detectives, Taylor recalled that Wayne and Jimmy used a rental car to get to Florida and they talked on burner phones during that time. Occasionally, Jimmy would call or text his girlfriend from the road to check in. Jimmy's employer, Jeff Conway, recalled that Jimmy had been planning to take some time off of work for weeks beforehand, talking about a trip to Florida. With this information, deputies were able to look into the GPS data from the rental car Curtis Wainwright had secured for the trip. All of the information was there down to the exact home address of Dr. Teresa Seavers. After investigators visited the couple's home to ask questions about the case, that's when Taylor said Jimmy got spooked. She questioned him further about his involvement, and he admitted he killed the woman in Florida for money. He also told her that he needed to destroy some of the evidence. Together, they took a ride in Jimmy's car, and Jimmy had Taylor throw his blue jumpsuit and the gloves from the cooler out the window. He wanted Taylor to throw the items into the river as they drove past, but Taylor told detectives her timing was off. The items landed in the grass instead. Later, she was able to lead investigators to the road where the items remained. They were bagged for evidence. During that same car ride, Taylor said Jimmy also drenched his phone in water, then broke it into tiny pieces to destroy any evidence contained on it. Taylor Shoemaker's information cracked the case wide open for deputies, who quickly moved to arrest both of the men. When news of a break in the case reached Florida, a new mystery soon began to unfold. Why would two men drive more than 1,200 miles to kill a woman in Florida? Weeks after the murder, after investigating the bizarre case behind the scenes, the Lee County Sheriff's Office finally announced the arrest of Jimmy Ray Rogers, 29, and Curtis Wayne Wright, 47, on August 27, 2015, in Hillsborough County, Missouri. The two men were arrested in their home state with plans for a speedy extradition to Florida. Friends of the family were quick to point out that Curtis Wayne Wright was a longtime childhood friend of Dr. Seavers' husband. In fact, he had done some IT work for her medical practice, and he shared an uncanny resemblance to Mark Seavers. Initially in high school, the two looked much different, but as they aged and lost their hair, both opted for glasses and settled into middle age with similar facial features. About 2 months later on October 15th, Curtis Wayne Wright was extradited to Florida. Reporters scrambled to piece together the connection between two men in Missouri and a woman in Florida. Had there been an affair between Dr. Severs and Curtis Wayne Wright? Did Mark know? And who was Jimmy Ray Rogers? Behind the scenes the family of Dr. Seavers were reeling. For his part, Mark Seavers maintained that he knew nothing of the murder and continued to care for his two daughters. But suspicion was mounting among Dr. Seavers' family, neighbors, and the public that he likely had something to do with the case. Soon after the arrest of the two men in Missouri, documents detailing the investigation were made public. It immediately became apparent that Mark Seavers had likely concocted the plan to have his wife killed while he maintained an airtight alibi hundreds of miles away with family. In the release documents, reporters learned that Taylor Shoemaker had also provided deputies with information regarding how the murder was likely planned. She said that during Curtis Wainwright's wedding two months prior to the murder, Mark Seavers met Jimmy for the first time. And also during that wedding, Mark and Wayne spent about two hours in a closed room discussing details of what Taylor later realized was likely the murder-for-hire plot. Dr. Seavers was not at Wayne's wedding at the time, so Mark also took the opportunity to talk about all of the problems the two of them were having in their marriage. Taylor told detectives that Mark Seavers didn't know that Wayne had hired Jimmy to take part. In fact, Jimmy and Mark Seavers didn't know each other until the wedding, and on that day, they had a tense altercation. Taylor told deputies that Mark pulled into a parking spot at the venue and had to back out again to adjust. When he did, Jimmy and Taylor pulled into the spot, and Mark sped off in a huff. Startling details about Curtis Wayne Wright soon emerged. Not only was he a known felon, He was also an active person of interest in a cold case involving the disappearance of a Missouri minister. Reporters at the Naples Daily News uncovered details about the case, which originated in 1996. At that time, Wayne was friends with a man named Ronnie Bolin, who was a minister in Hillsboro, Missouri. Ronnie Bolin was just 33 years old when he went missing in July of 1996. Investigators found his abandoned 1988 Subaru, which had been left at a car wash with the keys inside, but his body was never found. It is believed that Ronnie Bolin was killed, and the last man who saw him alive was Curtis Wayne Wright. Investigators questioned him several times throughout the investigation, but Wayne maintained his innocence. The case of Ronnie Bolin remains unsolved. While Curtis Wainwright and Mark Seavers had been careful to use burner phones and speak in code while plotting the murder, the execution of the crime itself was sloppy. Investigators were able to retrieve GPS data from a rental car the two killers used to travel from Missouri to the crime scene on Jarvis Road in Bonita Springs. They used credit cards at a Walmart nearby and were caught on surveillance footage purchasing last minute items a lock-picking kit, trash bags, towels, wipes, and shoes. The two suspects' cell phones also pinged off towers all along the travel route, which investigators gathered through subpoenas. Later, a commander with the sheriff's office would recall seeing a man, who looked like Jimmy Ray Rogers, purchasing a red Budweiser shirt at that same Walmart. The same day, it is believed that Wayne and Jimmy entered the Seavers' home and disabled the alarm. When they returned to the home the following day, they broke in again and waited for Dr. Seavers inside. Perhaps most chilling is that the GPS data showed the two men had found time during their trip to visit a local beach. Investigators were especially puzzled over one detail of the case. They realized that Mark had planned the murder to take place while his own mother took care of the family's two dogs at the house while they were out of town. That meant that Bonnie Seavers had to make a few trips to the home each day to feed the dogs, Nana and Lucy, and let them out. She was given instructions during that time regarding how to arm and disarm the home security system. But on the night Dr. Seavers came home from the airport, the alarm didn't trip. Nothing warned her that there were two men inside of her home. Bonnie would later tell investigators that she had trouble that night setting the alarm, so she called her son Mark for help. He told her not to worry about the alarm that night. A couple hours later, Jimmy and Wayne came back to the house to wait for Teresa. Before she knew her son was involved, Bonnie told investigators that she felt guilty for not having been able to set the alarm. Her guilt was misplaced, but her son did nothing to dispel it. Instead, he let his mother believe that two men had been able to break in unnoticed instead of by design. Shockingly, Bonnie Seavers was not told when to visit the home based on the time Wayne and Jimmy were there, so it's possible that she could have walked in on them and become the unintended victim. Details of the case were made public in December of 2015, and by then, everyone knew Mark Seavers had been in on it. The question was whether he would be arrested. As the public waited for the imminent arrest of Mark Seavers, his neighbors grew anxious. They were living next to someone who had apparently arranged for the murder of his own wife. And there he was, living next door with his two daughters, as if nothing had happened. Neighbors were worried that he might have an outburst or hurt one of the children. They were also worried that Mark might retaliate against them. Slowly, people in the neighborhood began sharing stories with news outlets. A few of them told reporters that they had occasionally overheard Mark Seavers arguing with his wife, and a few times he acted so oddly that one neighbor changed the locks on her doors twice. Now the behavior had escalated. Neighbors said Mark leered at them in the yard and shouted when they looked his way or smirked when he felt them watching him. Behind the scenes, The Florida Department of Children and Families was investigating to determine whether Mark should maintain custody of his daughters. Months prior over the summer, Dr. Seaver's sister had a tense encounter with Mark. Dawn Tottenham said that she was visiting the girls in Florida and Mark confronted her. Mark said his daughters had told him that Dawn suspected him of being connected to her sister's murder. Dawn said she replied to Mark in the affirmative, telling him that she wasn't convinced of his innocence, but that he was family and the father of her two nieces. Months later, once his involvement had been made clear, Dr. Seaver's family sought custody of the couple's two daughters. Dr. Seaver's mother filed for custody of her granddaughters. She was concerned for the girls' welfare and had learned that they were mostly living with Mark's mother in the months after the murder. They also had limited communication with the girls and believed their father was preventing them from speaking with anyone outside of the home. But because Mark had not been arrested, a judge ruled that the girls could not be removed from his custody on mere speculation of his involvement in a crime. The family was stuck and stressed about the fate of the girls, who they believed were living with the very man who killed their mother. Several hearings took place but the judges decided in Mark's favor. The two girls would remain in his custody. Two months later, in February of 2016, word reached local media. Curtis Wayne Wright had taken a plea deal. The 47-year-old pleaded guilty to a second-degree murder charge in connection with the killing of Dr. Sievers. But because Wayne had agreed to provide valuable information to prosecutors, he would be spared a life sentence, instead serving just 25 years. In the state of Florida, however, Wayne would only be required to serve 85% of his sentence before he would be eligible for parole. That meant he could be released at age 68 with some life left to live outside of his cell. As part of the plea deal, of course, Wayne agreed to flip on his best friend. On February 26, 2016, eight months after the murder of Dr. Teresa Seavers, her husband, Mark Seavers, was arrested on charges of second-degree murder. He was taken into custody at his home on Jarvis Road in Bonita Springs. Deputies with the Lee County Sheriff's Office stormed Mark's house that morning to serve the arrest warrant. Later, Mark was perp-walked for reporters, where he stood shackled in a red jumpsuit as news of his arrest was made public. He was held on a $4.43 million bond, and that amount was significant, according to investigators. It was the same amount of money Mark Seavers stood to gain had he been able to cash in on his wife's five life insurance policies. We were after Mark Seavers. We got our man, and we're very happy about that, Lee County Sheriff Mike Scott told a crowd of reporters who snapped photos and recorded video. Sheriff Scott told the media that Mark Seavers appeared stoic when he was arrested. And according to the Naples Daily News, he was cold. I'm not 100% sure he's got blood in his veins, Sheriff Scott said. I think it might be ice. Mark Seavers was 47 years old at the time of his arrest. In Florida, those convicted of second-degree murder face a mandatory life sentence and are eligible for the death penalty. At the time of his arrest, Prosecutors were still deciding whether to convene a grand jury in order to seek a first-degree murder charge. Relief broke out across the couple's Bonita Springs neighborhood. Finally, the man who was responsible for the murder-for-hire plot of his own wife was behind bars, his eerie presence no longer a concern. But the grief soon followed. Now it was confirmed that Dr. Severs had not just lost her life in a horrific fashion, She had also been the victim of a crime orchestrated by her own husband, the father of her children, her business partner, and Rock. How did a man known for being dedicated to his wife and her pursuits and a doting father make this decision? How had he arrived at this point? Soon, rumors and speculation would again circulate about the couple's marriage and what was taking place behind closed doors. In the months after his arrest, acquaintances of the couple began to implicate Mark Seavers in extramarital affairs and instances of infidelity. Investigators were told by some people that the couple were swingers and often opened their marriage to other partners, according to multiple outlets. After Mark's arrest, text messages between the couple were released as part of the investigative files. The messages painted a picture of a tense marriage. Dr. Seavers was constantly upset with her husband, often berating him in messages for texting her too much or bothering her. At one point, she told Mark he needed to get a grip on reality. In other text exchanges, however, the two shared their love for one another and detailed sexual fantasies with each other and with other people. The case summary detailed that the couple had affairs with both men and women outside of the marriage but the only motive ever detailed was money. Dr. Seavers had five different life insurance policies totaling $4.43 million, and Mark Seavers planned to cash in, according to investigators. At times, investigators also theorized that Mark feared his wife was about to divorce him and take custody of their girls. At trial, Mark Seavers would maintain his innocence offering no confirmation either way. The life insurance policies were never paid out. And there were documented money troubles in their relationship. Court records show that the couple were facing foreclosure on their home in 2010. A neighbor said they had two loans out on their house, but they were only able to pay for one of them. Months after the crime, the Lee County Sheriff's Office released a summary of the evidence affidavit, which detailed five different instances when neighbors overheard the couple shouting and arguing. During one of those fights, a neighbor heard Dr. Seavers saying she was going to divorce Mark. He replied by saying, we will see about that. During one of the arguments, witnesses said it was Dr. Seavers who was the aggressor although none of the fights included any violence that they were aware of. And then, of course, there was the old rumor mill and the idle minds online. Some people wondered if Mark had simply grown tired of his overbearing wife, the breadwinner of the family, who called the shots and didn't take no for an answer. Maybe he orchestrated the entire murder just to get rid of his annoying wife and to devise a way to keep the children for himself. Making off with a few million was just the icing on the cake. Because Curtis Wayne Wright opted for a plea deal in exchange for a guilty plea, he never went through trial. Instead, the first of the three men to go on trial was Jimmy Ray Rogers. On October 23, 2019, Jimmy Ray Rogers was found guilty of second-degree murder and trespassing. He was 29 years old at the time of his conviction. A few weeks later, he would be denied a new trial. During his sentencing in December of 2019, Jimmy's family told the judge about his troubled background beginning with an injury during birth when he was strangled by his own umbilical cord. Growing up, Jimmy's mother encouraged him to kill himself, and his father died when he was 16. Family members said Jimmy failed to develop mentally and emotionally. The judge was not swayed. Jimmy Ray Rogers was sentenced to life in prison. Mark Seavers went on trial in November of 2019. Curtis Wright testified against his best friend, providing many of the same details he offered at Jimmy Ray Rogers' trial. On December 4th, 2019, a jury deliberated for just four hours before returning a guilty verdict. In addition to the first-degree murder conviction, Mark was also found guilty of conspiracy. During his sentencing weeks later, Mark Seavers maintained his innocence, according to the news press. He told the judge, Although a jury found me guilty, I am innocent of all charges. He also said, I loved my wife Teresa and our two daughters Josie and Carmy with all my heart. Our girls have tragically lost their mommy, and now they're about to lose their daddy as well.
0: Is it okay if I refer to my notes? Yes, sir, absolutely. Although a jury found me guilty, I am innocent of all charges, as I have maintained since this heinous crime took place. I love my wife, Teresa, and our two daughters, Josie and Carmi, with all my heart. Our girls have tragically lost their mommy, and now they're about to lose their daddy as well. Therefore, I respectfully ask the court for life, as not to compound their loss and suffering. I am grateful, however, that the court can only determine my fate on earth while my soul is in God's hands, and God knows the truth. Although I cannot feel remorse for something I had absolutely nothing to do with, I am deeply saddened and forever heartbroken, to say the very least, that Teresa was taken from us. Teresa is my soulmate. I will miss her and cherish her memories until we are reunited in heaven. Until then, I will fight this wrongful conviction until I am proven innocent and set free to rejoin my family. Nothing further from the defense.
1: During the sentencing hearing, one of Mark's daughters pleaded with the judge not to sentence her father to death. During the emotional plea, she said that while she did not want to have a relationship with her father at that time, she might want to in the future. To commit him to death would deny her that chance. The judge listened, but ultimately decided Mark Seavers' crimes were too severe. The judge then sentenced Mark Seavers to death. He was sentenced to 30 years for the conspiracy charge to be served concurrently. Mark Seavers was transferred to death row after his conviction. Then in December of 2021, he requested a new trial, claiming new evidence had come up and proved his innocence. A decision is still pending on the new trial, and a previous request in 2019 also remains pending. Mark's defense attorneys claim they have a letter from Jimmy Ray Rogers stating that Curtis Wayne Wright killed Dr. Seavers after she refused to let him stay at her home. He also wrote that there was no murder conspiracy involving Mark Seavers. In 2017, the city of Bonita Springs placed a lien on the Seavers' home on Jarvis Road for a mowing violation. Neighbors complained of the unkempt lawn while Mark was in jail. That same year, Mark Seavers was deemed unfit to serve as the trustee of the Seavers Family Trust. Instead, Dr. Seaver's brother, Patrick Tottenham, was placed into that role in order to see to it that assets were allocated appropriately. Dr. Seaver's two daughters are named as beneficiaries of the family trust, so all assets will go to them, including payouts from the life insurance policies. Eventually, the Seaver's abandoned home was sold and neighbors said that that event could not come soon enough. Given the horrifying event that took place inside, The house was spooky, and due to it sitting empty, the house was also falling apart. The fence was covered in algae, and it sagged. The home had become a huge eyesore, and of course, finding a buyer would be a challenge. The murder was still fresh in everyone's minds, and whoever bought the house would be buying a crime scene. Eventually, though, the property got a new owner, and the neighbors said they planned to embrace whoever moved in, happy to put that scary period behind them. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a huge favor and rate and review Murderish in your favorite podcast app. Positive ratings and reviews help new listeners find the show, and I also love hearing from you guys. Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast. It's my favorite place to engage with you guys. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish t-shirts, face masks, coffee mugs, and more. Murderish sound design and audio editing is by Justin Hellstrom. Some of the music was composed by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Christine Gill. Stick around after the closing music and ads to hear a list of sources used for this episode. As always, ishers, thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Sources for this episode include an August 28, 2015 article in the Naples Daily News by Christine Gill, Jacob Carpenter, Jessica Lipscomb, Ryan Mills, Jake Allen, and Greg Stanley. Information dated August 31, 2015 at archive.naplesnews.com. Information dated December 1, 2015 at archive.naplesnews.com. February 3, 2016, information at archive.naplesnews.com. Information dated October 5th, 2021 in the Fort Myers News Press by Michael Braun at news-press.com. Information dated July 2nd, 2019 by Christine Gill at com. Information dated November 27th, 2019 at Fox 4 News by Lisa Greenberg at fox4now.com. Information dated August 20th, 2020 by Kayla Lane at cbsnews.com. Information dated December 4th, 2019 at WinkNews.com by Justin Case and Taylor Petrus. Information dated May 5th, 2016 at WinkNews.com. Information dated January 3rd, 2020 by Nicole Lauren at WinkNews.com. Information sourced from 48 Hours Season 32, Episode 59. Information sourced from Killer Case's Murder for Hire Season 1, Episode 1, At youtube.com. Information dated July 4, 2015, by Sophie Jane Evans, at dailymail.co.uk forward slash news forward slash article. Information dated August 29, 2015, by Kelly McLaughlin, at dailymail.co.uk forward slash news forward slash article. Information dated December 3, 2020, by Adam Janos, at aetv.com. Information dated October 16, 2019 at lawandcrime.com by Alberto Luperon. Information sourced from websleuths.com. Audio taken from the actual 911 calls. Information pulled from gofundme.com. Court documents from the Lee County Clerk. Documents from the state attorney's office released in 2015. Seeking the truth never gets old.